0: You're listening to The Felony Inc. Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. In America, we live in a society that houses the largest inmate population on Earth. And the current cost of mass incarceration via the prison industrial complex is incalculable. So anything that can be done to help curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable. That's what we attempt to do, one show at a time, and one guest at a time. Each week, we interview felons and non-felons attempting to make the world a better place for those currently incarcerated, families, and communities affected by the big business of prison. Felony Inc. Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time.
1: And welcome back to Felony in Ink podcast. Another exciting episode. I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm your host, DJ Dick Hennessy, as always, joined by my number one co host, Meg Thibodeau. Meg, how are you feeling today?
2: I'm pretty good, Dick. I am pretty good. It is a gorgeous fall day here in Portland. It is extremely cold, but I don't know. I'm feeling a little bit lighter as a citizen of this country, a little bit just this week.
1: Yeah, a little collective sigh of relief, I'm little sure. A little
2: collective moment of, I don't know, maybe something better than the last thing might happen next, I am hopeful.
1: Yeah, and uh, I am as well. Uh, can't go worse, so.
2: <laughs> it <laughs> could go better, but, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm not going to And you know, you know, I don't really, uh, I, I always try to go as far as I can uh, to not bring up politics during the podcast or just in general. But um, I always try to report on good news every time uh, when we do the podcast when I can, when there is good news. And of course, I want to just give a quick shout out. Of course, we voted in Oregon to decriminalize drug possession. And we also voted in Oregon to legalize medical uh, psilocybin mushrooms for medical purposes. So I'm really happy about both of those, considering that uh, drug possession is the most arrested offense in the United States. Um, So and actually, it's, it's kind of a a litigating factor and a lot of the reasons we all uh, had a prison experience, you know, in one way or another. I know it was the cause of my felony, and uh, I think it was the cause of yours as well.
2: (laughs) It was. I hope that we can pair some of this um, very proud, forward-thinking legislation with some reparations and expungements and some releases from prison.
1: (laughs) Um, So I'm really excited about today's guest. Uh, I've been looking forward to it for quite some time. Of course, I'm talking about none other than America's Prison Break Coach, Allison Garrett, Allison Garrett. Uh, she do, she's the author, a life coach, award-winning national speaker, independent businesswoman. She also owns the business pamperperfectmobilespa.com. The website is PrisonBreakCoach.com for the motivational speaking and coaching. Uh, Allison delivers engaging, thought-provoking, inspiring, and empowering programming that leaves audience members with both greater awareness and proactive steps they can take towards their goals. Allison, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing wonderful.
1: Thanks, Dick. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. Um, Allison, typically how we do on the show, uh, you being a first time guest, we kind of get to know you a little bit. Uh, maybe if you could kind of give us some insight into your upbringing and kind of what led you on the path that you're on today.
3: Absolutely. When I I guess I could start like I was born. Um, I was born in Queens, New York. I was born to teenage parents, put up for adoption when I was a baby. It was supposed to be temporary, ended up turning into a uh, long-term. My birth mother uh, had leukemia and she passed away when I was two um, and she was only 19 years old. So I went into the foster care system, um, which was a very rough experience as a, as a child. Uh, and it led me into trying to always find find myself in some way. So I found myself, um, you know, losing even my adoptive parents at a, at a very young age. My adoptive mom died when I was 13. My adopted dad died two years later. I was put into a position where I took care of my younger siblings, dropped out of school in eighth grade, um, and that was kind of where the spiral started. Moved away from New York to Delaware with an older family member. That didn't go very well. Well, I found myself running away. Um, and pretty much just trying to be on my own without really knowing how to be on my own. Uh, At some point it led me um, onto a path of committing petty crimes. Uh, Eventually it led to uh, just back and forth, going in front of a judge, being sentenced, having um, probation and house arrest and all of that. And then it led me into a courtroom that gave me a seven year prison sentence Um, and declared a habitual offender, and I became an inmate um, with the Pennsylvania State Department of Corrections. Uh, And I knew at that moment that I had to do something to change my life, just wasn't quite sure how, uh, and learned that as I moved along there, I didn't feel that there was something for me, something to help me change my thoughts and my behaviors and my, my, my patterns Uh, So I developed a system just literally going through my journals and everything that I was feeling and thinking and writing about. um, And I created a way that would allow me to really learn how I could change my life from all of where I've been um, to where I am today.
1: That's incredible. I mean, um, let's say sometimes, you know, when you have a really rough start, you know, that can really be a defining moment in someone's psychology when they turn around and it's almost like a tsunami effect in a way. Yeah. Um, so how uh, you got put in prison uh, for not a little bit of time. You actually got sentenced to seven years, uh, ended up doing a little bit less than that. Can you talk a little bit about that situation?
3: Yes. Yeah, so I was, um, it was a, it was a, a forgery case. And the judge that I had was known to be very harsh with any crimes dealing with finance. Um, so while my, my sentence was considered pretty harsh, it was within the guidelines based on, um, you know, what what those were at that time, because this situation was considered mitigating. At that point, I had had seven felonies. And I had never been to prison before then. When I went in, I knew that it was going to go in that direction at some point. Um, And I asked to be able to prepare um, because I had two small kids at home. And this was pretty much a secret from my entire family. So no one really knew where I was going. And I just assumed that I would come home. Um, And he denied my request and my sentence started that day. So to say the least, um, a a very difficult situation, um, not only just my, my being incarcerated, but then not really knowing what was gonna to happen to my kids, how that was gonna go. And even the fact that, you know, I did do less time, I, I was paroled after two and a half years, but that's not the, the understanding going in. Like in my mind, I felt that seven years could go by and that would be the, the time that I would be released. So it, it was, prison was an experience that was very frightening um, in the beginning Became something that I learned to adjust to. It was, it just became my new way of life. Um, And I just wanted to really do something positive. So I used that time to do research on what could I do after this period of incarceration where no one could tell me no. Like I knew that odds were stacked against me. I researched and learned that in my state, there were 218 professions that I could not be a part of like I couldn't even be a landscaping architect if I wanted to, um, just based on the fact of having a felony. So I felt like it was an an, uh, an uphill battle um, that I didn't want to stick myself in, and started to think of things that I could do without of all the all the limitations and restrictions. Um, and then I came up with the idea of a mobile spa.
1: So that was the first idea of everything uh, before writing before. Motivational speaking, the mobile spa was the first concept you came up with.
3: Yeah, mobile spa was the first concept because I knew people in the industry. I had I, you know, came from a beauty background. Um, I had a license in nails and I knew a few people. So originally it was just to, you know, earn enough money to maybe supplement what I you know, what I would be making um, coming out, knowing that I wouldn't be able to get a job that was going to pay me, you know, um, a livable wage. Um, So I started inviting people over and asking them to get their friends and family together. And it literally grew in a very short period of time. The coaching and the speaking came after I started the business and started to tell people, you know, like I started this business with no money, no credit, no support, felonies stacked on my back, um, you know, trying to be successful with probation and parole, having a curfew, can't leave the state, (laughs) you know, so it, it sort of became, how did you do it? And I had journal writings that kind of walked me through this whole process that turned into my first book, which is "I wasn't, I was, I am: How to Move Beyond Your Past to Create an Extraordinary Life." Um, and that became more than a prison story. What What I learned was um, based on my life's experiences. I had been in prison long before I was arrested, uh, and I used that as a model. And I started attracting not only formerly incarcerated women and men, um, women and men who were still incarcerated, but also just average everyday people that found themselves stuck uh, living in a way that something has programmed them not to move beyond where they've been or things that have hurt them. Um, And I introduced them to a a new way of looking at their situation and creating their own way out.
1: Yeah, you actually talk about that uh, quite a lot. It's you kind of discussed the difference between the mental prison versus the physical prison. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
3: Yeah. So mental prison is pretty much, um, there's, I believe that there are periods and points in our lives where things happen to us. And we, if we give up on that situation, we tend to accept it just the way it is. And then we just continue to go down that path. And while many people would say, "Well, why don't you just do this? Why don't you do that? There is really, um, it becomes ingrained within our personality. So we just do it without even thinking. So I learned all about, you know, wherever that breaking point is, there are certain things that we do in our life to compensate for that. So when I learned that that's really what I was doing in my life, although my activity was negative, I had to find a way to redirect that energy. So when I talk about a mental prison, it is really just doing things and we don't know why we do them, but we're doing them to compensate for something else. Uh, And although it may not necessarily lead anyone into physical handcuffs and shackles, these are people who are living just average and ordinary and below their potential and waking up every day and going to work and hating their job or being in a relationship that doesn't serve them anymore, um, living with bitterness and anger towards something that you don't even know what that is. So I think that that's where the correlation comes in from, Mental prison, long before physical prison, I just took a path that led me to commit crime um, that had me just stuck for for a very long time.
1: You know, it's interesting because we can put statistics on like the percentage of population that's in physical prison. Mm -hmm. But in your opinion, what percentage of people uh, would you say are currently in a mental prison?
3: Oh. Can I say like almost everybody?
2: (laughs) Almost everybody's (laughs) in some kind of a mental prison. I mean, it's a prison just not understanding what your options are, right? Right. I mean, how many people are coming into your program that have absolutely no idea that Mm -hmm. there are options available to them that are perhaps beyond their wildest dreams, right? People stop themselves at a Mm -hmm. point because they're, you know, our human imaginations are sometimes too small to even realize what could, what kind of potential could be out there for us. And absolutely. particularly when we come from uh, environments and upbringings and traumatic situations that lead us to think that our only options are the kind of options that get us arrested.
3: Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think I read something somewhere, even if you just talk about, um, you know, when you say, you know, people come into the program what's you, what, what's ironic is one of the things that they'll always say is, I'm like, well, what do you want? If you could just, just one thing, what is it that you want? And 90% of the people say they want to be happy, but then they don't know how to elaborate on what that even looks like. I'm like, so what does hap- what does happiness look like to you? I don't even know. I literally take them through almost like just pretend you're dreaming like you wake up in the morning. What do you see? What's, you know, what kind of blanket is on your bed? Is there a candle burning? Is someone making you breakfast? Is there a window? Are you in the woods? Are you in a, in a building where you can see overlook the city? You really have to get back to the point where you dream about this life that seems so impossible. But when things happen to us over time, we just continue to get buried and buried and buried um, with just life's experiences trauma that we've never healed from. Um, and then we tend to forget. We, we, we forget what our potential is and and our capabilities. And to your point, um, definitely don't see any other options. You're like, this is my only way. I think this is, you know, we we mask it as I did this for my kids until you really dig a little bit deeper. I'm like, no. I kind of did it for me I just thought it was for my kids because if it was for my kids I wouldn't be away from them right now so it's just a lot of realizations and some some tough conversations and acceptance
2: that happy piece I think is so interesting and is such a um, has such an interesting analogy to prison I found when I was in prison it was so strange that somebody was telling me that on this particular date would be the date that I would be free And I found that really stressful to my brain. You know, Mm -hmm. I had lost all of my rights and uh, my identity, and all of these things had been taken away. But I didn't feel that I should be also told when I was going to be free. And that, you know, for many people in prison, certainly the date that they get out of prison is hardly. A sentence for new freedom. It is hardly an opportunity to experience more freedom. So what choice do we have? And that choice is that internal freedom, right? And it's so interesting. I'd be curious how you help people even define happiness when um, I feel like so many people just like that prison, that date comes and I will be free, even though I haven't taken time to even uh, analyze what that freedom even looks like or what it means. And when people come to you and say, I want to be happy. How do you help mm-hmm. them understand that happiness is so much more than just a state without
3: discomfort? Oh, that I love the way you put that. I'm going to have to take a note on that. <laughs> the state without discomfort. So how I help them um, get through that piece of it, um, it, is, it, it's a process of disconnecting more from your outer identity and connecting more with your inner identity. So, um, and I think you said it a little bit earlier, just that whole identity of not knowing who you are or losing that when you, when you go to prison, right? So you become an inmate, you become a number, um, you become just like everyone else. There's not necessarily any special privileges for you. Um, but what does that mean? So I, I walk people through, all right, there's a list of all these things, how you identify yourself. I mean, if I identified myself, I'm like, you know, I'm a I'm a, I'm a black woman and I'm a mom and I'm a wife. And, you know, we, we get into all these things. We get into our political affiliations. We talk about our religion and our, and our race and, you know, where we live and what we drive and our roles in, in the world. But when, though, when we don't have those, we're lost. You know, I, I did an, uh, a speaking engagement with a group of uh, military um, men and women. And they were going through experiences saying that without that uniform, no one recognizes them. They become invisible. You know, they and it's the same thing, you know, when you look at all the other things that we look at in our lives. So it's really a matter of starting off with, okay, I know you're all those things on the outside. Right. I can see a lot of that and some of it by what you say and what you do. But what are those things that you have disconnected from that make you who you are? You know, what are your your qualities as a person you know are you um you know of humor are you fun loving D- are you very energetic are you do you like to wake up in the morning early are you a morning person um so all of the things that we kind of really don't identify with on a daily basis we're more forced to look at the the outer so it starts with the internal identity
1: yeah indeed it does And uh, you had a quote I really liked. Uh, You said, if at first you don't succeed, redefine success. Um, Can you break down a little bit of what
3: that means to you? If at first you don't succeed, redefine success. I think that when you speak about success, each person, of course, has their own idea of what that looks like. But I think me saying, if at first you don't succeed, redefine success means that at any point in time in our lives, we can move the needle on what success looks like, right? So... Originally, if someone says, you know, I just want to be happy me. When I was going through the toughest times in my life, all I want, I wanted to be normal. Now, at that moment, I don't know what being normal meant, but that was all I wanted. I wanted, I didn't want to be this person who did things like only 10% of the population. I wanted to be more normal like everyone else. And then, as I gain more um, sense of of who I am and and what that means, now, okay, I'm pretty I'm pretty normal. Now I just want to stay free, right? So I want to make sure that I'm working diligently with, you know the conditions of my probation or parole. You know, so success, it, when you continue to redefine it, it just means that where you are, it's subject to change. We have this idea that you pick something. And you be successful at that one thing. And that's typically something so far away, we never really get there. It's like running a race that you've been, um, you know, bogged down with heavy weights that you can't make it to the other side. So for me, redefining success means along the way, you can, you're allowed to change it. You're allowed to move it, move the needle to something else. It could be success in this day. It could be waking up in the morning when I feel terrible and, and, Getting a shower for some people or, uh, you know, being able to do some things that you don't get to do. So redefining success means don't be tied to any one thing that's this dangling carrot that's hanging from your forehead that you never, never reach. You move it as you go.
2: That, I love that concept. It reminds me of um, this book called "The Psychology of Flow." It's Mihai Cheek High. It's a doctor on this. He's kind of like the premier doctor on flow states, and he talks mm-hmm. about what you're talking about right there. Which I just love this concept. That, like, say I want I have this goal. I want to win Wimbledon, or I want a million dollar company, or mm-hmm. I want whatever it is that your goal is. There's a million little goals between right here, right now, and yes. that. And what you said, move the needle. Some days my goal's got to be get out of bed in order yes. to achieve that Wimbledon win. Some days it's, you know, win that one match. Some days mm-hmm. it's win the big match. You know, there are some times that we're able to um, imagine great goals. And some mm-hmm. days we've just got to make the small movements. I feel like that's brilliant.
3: You're teaching people that. Yes. Thank you. That's yeah, really that's, that's it. I mean, that, that was it for me. It was, you know, I wanted to own a business, um, but if if my mind is always there, I'm like, right now, I need to make sure that I'm doing things that I'm supposed to do just to comply with the the rules and regulations, you know, after incarceration, it's like, okay, I'll worry about that later, but right now I just need enough for this, you know? Um, And there's a concept, I read a book, um, I read a book once um, by Stormy O. Martin, and um, it's just enough light for the step I'm on. So that's kind of like it. It's like the illumination comes just on that step and that's all I need for today. And then we'll worry about the next step the next day.
2: I love that. And the self-care things, like how do we create a strong container for ourselves so that we're ready to receive what's about to come, so that we're ready to receive
3: what it is that we wish for? Absolutely. Well, a lot of times we're not ready or when it comes, we don't recognize it because we're so, you know, we're so bogged down to... Um, you know, just that whole thought and idea of what it's supposed to look like. Well, you know, it might, it might already be here. It might be presenting itself just in a different way. So it it gives you more, more clarity as well.
2: That's amazing. That's beautiful. So we need to stop real quick and take a commercial break, pay a few bills and Mm -hmm. we'll be back in just a moment.
0: All right. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com.
1: All right, welcome back to Phil and the Ink Podcast. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Allison Garrett, a.k.a. America's Prison Break Coach. Website is prisonbreakcoach.com. And... Also, pamperperfectmobilespa.com. Allison, we were touching on a couple of things earlier. Um, I just had a question. So you're in prison. You begin the process of kind of materializing the pamper perfect, uh, pamper perfect mobile spa, and then you turn to you weave into reality when you get out. Uh, it's instantly successful. From there, you begin writing the book. I was, I am, um, and then at what point after that did you begin to transition into becoming a life coach and motivational speaker?
3: I think that went into, uh, I've always wanted, I've always wanted to be a psychologist, actually. And um, that was one of the professions that was on that list of 218 things that I couldn't do. So no matter how successful my life would have been, or my life, you know, would be after incarceration, um, legally, that would be something that I was, would be unable to do. Um. So I took the life coaching route because it's very similar work and I've actually found it to be more of my style than it than it would be a psychologist anyway. So that's really kind of how I got into it was I just started researching programs and seeing what was needed. Um, and again, taking the path of least resistance, something that I don't have to fight against, but I could do and do well. Um. So I got certified. And that was mainly because I was really... I found myself always either on the phone or sending messages or talking with someone. Can I just talk to you? You know, and when I was doing nail, so I would have people say, this is Allison. She's my life coach slash nail tech. Um, so it was, it, it just became something that seemed really natural. And then I, you know, um, I always was attending um, different seminars. And I remember someone said, you know, when you do something that solves a problem, you get paid. I'm like, well, sheesh, I'm solving problems all the time. I think it's time to get paid for it. And not only just from the money piece, but just it's very rewarding um, to see people go through challenges and be able to see them in a different way and pull themselves out of it. Um, in most cases, people give you the traditional things to say when you need help, you know, but very, um, it's not often that someone helps you get to the core. So yeah, it sort of happened like by accident on purpose, I guess you could say. I mean,
1: when you say it like that in retrospect, it seems like the obvious transition of things <laughs> and evolution and we had, we had actually uh, interviewed another life coach, uh, Marcus Timmons, who's Big Herc, who uh, is also very successful at that as well. Um, how long after you basically begin the transition into life coaching and motivational speaking were you approached by TED
3: Talks and like oh, that was amazing. I was approached by um, to do the TEDx talk. Actually, in 2000, and I think it was 2005. So the time in between would probably be, I don't know. I'm having a um, brain fog, but it it was several years. um, And I had met a lot of people along the way who had heard me speak. Um, And then so I was nominated by someone to do a a TEDx talk. And the ironic thing about that was they were pitching me to do, it was the first TEDx talk that was actually done inside of the prison. It was in the women's prison in Wilmington, where I live. And that was the one that they really wanted me to speak at. And the organizer said that uh, he didn't want to limit me to doing a talk inside of the prison. He wanted to wait for more of a a main stage opportunity. So I waited for the next go around and and there it was. And you took it and
1: ran with it. I mean, I saw that and I saw a couple other videos of you giving uh, speeches and you came out full orange jumpsuit Mm -hmm. shackles on. (laughs) uh, And at the end of the speech, you just shed everything. And yes. And uh, again, that goes right in line with the psychology of everything. Is that how did you get that idea to do that concept?
3: Um, I think I was at a uh at an event. It was a marketing event, and one of the one of the women who was doing the the um the teaching um said the phrase, like it just came out of came out of nowhere. She's like, You really like the prison break coach. And she's like, You can, you know, come out of those handcuffs and come out of those shackles and take off that that jumpsuit. So it was like, Oh, I I took it literally. And um I, I also understood that it was a way for me to be remembered um, and it was a way for people to visually grasp what it looks like to to break free, like in that, in that moment. They, they will sit there and they will start to think about, okay, Allison, that's, you know, I might tell them, you know, they think that Allison's a great story. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, there's an expectation that you get out of prison and you do well. <laughs> but when you sit there and you consider that I'm, I'm in prison, you know. I'm in a mental prison. I'm I'm tied and handcuffed and shackled to something, and I want to break free from it.
1: That's well, very powerful. Uh, very very powerful visual symbolism for sure. Um, I also read that you do volunteer work at your local prison. Uh, what does that consist of?
3: Yes. Well, I'm pretty much whenever they call me, I, I go. I do a lot of their. Um, I speak at their graduations. Sometimes they have cohorts for people who have co- completed programs. Um, if they've done anything with a cognitive skills program or thinking for a change. um, And just I'm just always available to give motivation, to give inspiration. Um, I consider myself a peer mentor. Um, I know when I was incarcerated, it was great to see people come in and volunteer and share words of wisdom. Um, However, there was always that little piece in the back of my mind, like they really don't They really don't understand what I've been through. It's like, I appreciate them coming in because anyone to take their time out to, you know, to to visit prison, to volunteer their time, totally grateful. I just often wondered how relatable were they to me? You know, did they ever go home and their electricity was off or they got locked out of an apartment because they didn't pay their rent and they had to break in. So they had somewhere to stay the night or, you know, working on a job and, uh, you know, getting fired because your attendance was poor. You didn't have a car. You know, getting off the bus and not having an umbrella and it's pouring and pouring down rain and like all those things. I'm like, that's great. But, you know, it would be nice to you know, I think my prayer became I wanted to meet someone that had overcome like me. So I don't take it lightly. and, And I believe that the. Just the messages received. Not I don't want to say better than, but but I think it it resonates better with people who are currently incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. And they hear from someone who went through the experience, who had the traumatic experiences growing up, and now I'm doing something um, that no one could really say I couldn't do. So that in itself is like just that peer that that peer mentorship.
2: I couldn't agree more with that. I feel like that you know what you're saying really resonates with me. I had a similar experience in prison. It's hard to sort of put your finger on it, but there is a energetic difference in somebody who comes into the prison to help folks that are less fortunate than themselves mm-hmm. and somebody that comes into a prison Um, With a similar experience and the ability to absolutely humanize the folks Mm -hmm. that they're working with, because when you're an inmate and have such have had such a identity strip, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel so much like property in so many yes. ways. And just having someone come in and see you as a human being with mm-hmm. potential and value in that moment is an amazingly healing experience.
3: Absolutely. That, w- that would be a great way to put it, just a healing experience. It's like, wow, okay, now there's hope. Mm-hmm. You know, I-, I, might've, I might've thought that I could do this before, but now, you know, and I make myself available, like just, you know, I'm not very private. People can find me, connect with me, um, you know, um, because I believe that that's a part of it, too, is you need more than just the, you know, like it's easy to put resources in front of someone. But sometimes you kind of need to hold a hand getting there.
2: And mirrors, you know, just being able to be a mirror for someone. I think Dick and I talk about that a lot on this show is how mm-hmm. we yeah. can, you know, by what we're doing, just shine a light on the possibility by by inhabiting the work.
3: Right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Doing the thing like you're saying, I feel the same way. You know, it's like this thing was missing from my prison experience. Mm-hmm. What should I do about it? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll go ahead and become that thing.
3: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be that.
2: I'll be that for someone else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That that's is, beautiful. That is, um, you're doing it that. Is.
3: It's awesome.
1: Yeah. I'm a big uh, believer in the more you give, the more you get.
3: And, oh, um, yes.
1: It's definitely better to give than to receive. I know we don't understand it when we're children, but when we grow up, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes um uh, just shifting gears i kind of wanted to go into the pamper perfect mobile spa a little bit um first of all it operates in 11 cities across the u.s um and right now it's the go-to for an on-site spa service provider right now at home sales it's kind of perfect uh for covid and everything mm-hmm. like that uh, i'm imagining your transition or your pivot wasn't that substantial like you almost had we're in the perfect position when this whole thing happened uh What has been your experience with that since the whole transition?
3: Um, Transition meaning with what we're currently dealing with?
1: Yeah.
3: Say it again. With coronavirus. Okay. Yes. Um, Actually, uh, it became more difficult um, because the restrictions in every state were different. Um, And then there became the challenge of, uh, if you think of supply and demand, at some point we did have a lot of demand, um, but not enough people that were uh, willing to, to work. They were either still afraid um, of the virus itself or things surrounding it, um, or maybe just feeling like choosing that sacrifice. So during the pandemic, during that those first three months, I went from, you know, from from March to to uh, June is our highest grossing months for for the business in itself, and it went to zero. Um, and it's still now very slowly. Each state has different regulations, so that's a little bit uh, you know challenging to maneuver through. And then again, when I get requests, I can't always fill them because I have a lot of people that are still considered furloughed for a lot of different reasons. Um, I do see, you know, there's definitely an uptick maybe within this past month. Um, you know, people are still trying to, you know, get celebrations together. We're trying to find ways to do it safely. Um, so the, the pivot had to occur. And I was kind of really doing a lot of research on what other, you know, what other companies were maybe saying or suggesting and using that to figure out what we could do. Um, but still, you know, still pushing through that. Still pretty much challenging in in this day and time.
2: Well, you yep. probably serviced a lot of weddings and the wedding industry took a massive nosedive, but there's Absolutely. a world where now people are feel like are kind of getting together and maybe six people or seven people in a large space might yes. be able yes. to hire you guys. And with enough protective equipment, probably you can do a safe manicure or foot. So yes.
3: Or yep. Yep. So yeah. we, we have transitioned in that way. Um, or even just recently, like we have a, we had a um event scheduled for next weekend in one of the cities and now the um the groom has covid so they can't even get married so there's there's still a lot of fear surrounding what's happening so there's we don't really have a balanced mix of clients as well as people wanting wanting to work or it being worth it you know i might have one a call for one person Um, But do I have anyone that's willing to go just do one, you know, because we're typically used to working with at least six. Um, So just looking forward to to the movement. I think um, what it's done is it just caused me to talk about some some other things. You know, this is still not much different from, you know, escaping the prison. Like, how do you pivot? What can you do? Uh, So, you know, I've I've done some some classes. We everything turned to Zoom. Um, we just learned to navigate, navigate through it, cause the world doesn't stop and the bills still need to be paid.
1: <laughs> yeah. Speaking of navigating to Zoom and just you know, having trouble kind of getting together, uh you're working on something right now, the prison break group experience. Uh what is that and how is how is that going for you right now?
3: Yes. So um I've done a couple of group experiences, uh uh, you know, like after the the shutdown, Uh, and it really came from, um, I posted something on my social media page and I asked people, what did you learn from this experience? Uh, And what will you do with what you learned? So hundreds of comments, like I learned that, you know, family is important. I appreciate my time at home, um, simpler things in life, you know, like all of these life lessons, but very few people said what they would do with it. So, I'm like, okay, that's not good. It's like we have all this enlightenment and we recognize something, but now what do we do? So, that was how it started. It was, you know, you've learned a lot of things. What will you do with what you learn? Uh, And the group experience, it's a a very intimate group, uh, group coaching. Um, Six women are selected uh, based on, you know, what their needs are, where they are, and to see if they're a good fit for the program. But it really starts with all of the things that we were talking about today, it starts with that identity, um, walking them through. And what I've learned is a lot of uh, women like to connect in a group setting um, a lot easier than maybe one-on-one because now they feel someone else shares something and they don't feel as hesitant about sharing it. Um, they can work, you know, talk with each other. It build, helps build relationships. So it goes through the, the whole identity piece. It, it's uh, knowing who you are, knowing what that means accepting where you've been know where you're going and know how to get there
1: yeah it's a beautiful thing um so when is the next group experience taking place
3: next group experience is the first Monday in December let's see it
2: and tell us how we can sign up
3: yes you can sign up you can go to my website prisonbreakcoach.com Um, uh, And there is a link there to uh, to sign up or to get more information about it. Um, And then you'd be taken through the process to take an assessment Um, and then we would have a discussion uh, and then we would select people for the class. That's great.
1: So you did the book, I Was, I Am. And then you did another book, Nailing Down Success. Can you talk a little bit about what that book is? Yeah.
3: Regarding. Yeah, the n- nailing down success came from um, prior to um, prior to my, my physical prison experience. Um, I owned a small nail salon and it, was, it did really well. It was really popular. We had a period in time where people would be waiting outside to, to come in um, because we were one of the only salons in the area that did hand painted nail art during that time. Uh, And it really talks about how I sabotaged that business based on all of the challenges that I had in my personal life. So Nailing Down Success is a book that shows someone how to get a restart um, and how things in your personal life have to be in alignment in a certain, you know, to a certain degree to make your business life successful because they're they're one, they're one, they're not separate. So I can't have this crazy life going on personally and then try to show up and run a business and not getting it right. So it kind of gets you to the what are those core values, why you started the business, get back to your why, um, how to get support. Uh, and it, it's a it's a quick, easy read, um, just sort of like for someone who may be struggling with maybe messing up, having a failed business, maybe it wasn't a great idea, but to give them the courage to start again.
1: So essentially the book is kind of like a B-12 shot in the arm for someone who's kind of...
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, woe is me. I did that and I messed up. I'm like, hey, me too. Guess what? This is what you got to do. Follow a few of these things. No, get, you know, get down, do it again. Um, and again, being an example of, of how that can be done.
1: So you had a really interesting, uh, you mentioned an interesting Ernest Hemingway quote, which was the way to become a great writer is to have a lousy childhood. What does that mean to you specifically?
3: Uh, I think I've always, I, I'm a studier of people and success stories. And I think I saw that quote and then I started digging a little bit more into what his life was like. And um, it wasn't pretty, it, it wasn't good at all. And and I think that when you when you look at people who have been through something or your childhood is traumatic, if you can come out of that and you're able to share those experiences, our stories are what helps connect people and helps free not only ourselves, but free others. So in saying that being a, uh, you know, to be a good writer, having a lousy childhood helps, is uh, for me, I think I always felt like I had a great story to tell, but I just always felt like something hadn't happened yet. So I'm like, yeah, well, enough has kind of happened for me to talk about it. And in that, I found healing Um, and I'm able to compel others to tell their stories as well, because there's there's probably more people out here that would consider themselves having a lousy childhood than we think. They just either don't know it or they're not admitting it. But, But I know for me, when I talk to people, they're like, yeah, we don't talk about it. It's a secret. So it's almost like you get permission to say it's okay to say you had a lousy childhood. Everybody didn't didn't ha- have a great you know a great great upbringing or great experience, but but it's okay to talk about it.
2: I feel like we have, we live this myth that childhood is supposed to be a glorious, blissful time. And the fact mm-hmm. is, it's an incre- it's like where we're initiated into personhood, and it's mm-hmm. difficult. That's where we collect all kinds of trauma. Even folks that have the quote unquote, all the resources and privileges and mm-hmm. whatever perfect looks like, come do not come out unscathed. No, And in fact, for them, perhaps it's a little bit more confusing, right? Because mm-hmm. even more than someone who has a really obviously terrible childhood someone that has what looks on the outside like a great childhood but it yep. still have has trauma has still has to be able to come out with that story stories are so powerful when you're able mm-hmm. to tell the one you've got you're able to edit it and choose a new one
3: yes absolutely that's really it it's like it, it just gives permission per- permission to people for talking about it even even when you don't think it was so lousy, a lot of, you know, if you dig into personalities, a lot of that wanting to be a perfectionist comes from that, too. So, it, you know, we always we all have those low points and we have the high point where we compensate for it. And that that's where it starts. The, the childhood is where all that is built. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: So on, on the website, there's a prison break boot camp workshop
3: in the box. Um, what is that about? The boot camp workshop in the box. That is for someone who, um, it's almost like a self-study guide. So it comes with the, the workbook and it, we, a series of videos you get access to, um, and some other privileges where you actually get to connect with me during a certain period of time to help work through those challenges. Uh, and it's a, it's a step-by-step, but more for the person who, uh, like at home, like you can I can read this, I can understand it, I can work through it, I can ask questions, um but all against starting with that whole um identity piece, knowing knowing who you are
1: yeah, also, on the website, there's five uh simple strategies to break procrastination. Now, I know me personally <laughs> i don't I don't like to admit it, but I think we're all kind of guilty of procrastination in some uh, form or another. Uh, can you give us one of the simple strategies?
3: Yes, so I would tell you to take out your phone and look at your calendar. <laughs> for most of us, we we procrastinate because we don't include ourselves on our calendar. Uh, most people, once they start going through it, they see, I have a doctor's appointment. I gotta take the kids to soccer. Um, I gotta go take mom grocery shop, And it's like, nothing is on the calendar for us. So the number one strategy that I would give you today to prepare yourself to break that procrastination Procrastination is one thing that you can do. Add it to the calendar. If it is, if you know you need to do more marketing on your business, then put thirty minutes on the calendar to do the marketing, and you do it. I think that's the that's really the first the the first thing. It's like look through your calendar and see how much of you is is on there, because we find that we we waste a lot of time. We're not really procrastinating dick we're we're wasting a lot of time doing things that don't really serve us as we as we should we feel guilty um you know we feel selfish but if, if you want to break that procrastination you have to you have to schedule it
1: yeah I mean just every little bit counts you know?
3: <laughs> yes
1: um I saw something interesting you actually uh started dabbling on your own podcast the prison break podcast um and yeah. actually you're Your first episode was it featured your son, Khalil Crawford. Yes. Um, I've been uh, I actually am in works of having my mom on this podcast, hopefully by next Mother's Day or so. Um, What's going on with the podcast right now? I listened to the whole episode and a little bit of a couple others. And it was really well done.
3: Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was, uh, you know, the the pandemic, the pandemic project. (laughs) I um, I. I always thought about maybe being, you know, I mean, I've always thought about being in TV or radio um, and it was really like, okay, how can I do this again? Not looking at a way that I could do it on my own. Um, And I just started thinking about people that I knew that had, you know, that had stories that kind of fit that. Um, So we are going to move back into another season of the podcast. Um, But yeah, I mean, when I had my son on, it was, it was, the response that I got from it, it's like, okay, I have to keep doing this. You know, Um, they, they loved him and he loved doing it. So I think he'll, he'll be my first guest for each, for each season. (laughs) I mean, that'd be great. Uh, When I was
1: listening to it, it was, it was really interesting because not only did you get your side of things, but you got his side of things as well. Mm -hmm. What he experienced when, you you know, when obviously what you experienced when the judge said seven years and you have no time to do anything and what he experienced It's totally different, opposite uh, things, but it's all all on the same spectrum. And just putting those pieces together made for a really enriching podcast. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, yeah, we're definitely getting
2: your mom for Mother's Day. (laughs) (laughs) I've taken my son to a bunch of talks I've done, and it Uh has been one of the most, you know, fruitful for him and for the folks that Mm -hmm. are listening because I tell stories about what it's like to leave a child behind and go Mm -hmm. to prison and to have that child sitting there, healthy and happy and helping out and willing to talk to people is Mm -hmm. a really powerful a powerful piece. And for him to be able to be a part in the things that I've done post prison to mm-hmm. do service and to uplift others, it has been incredibly healing for him as a child who lost his mother to prison for an amount of time. So. Oh yes. For yeah. Sure. We're definitely all about getting Dick's mom on the program. Yes. Get her yeah. on. Yeah. She's awesome.
1: <laughs> It'll make for some good radio for sure.
2: It sure will. Uh, I'm excited for March. <laughs>
1: I am too. Um, So Allison, one of the things you discussed in the TEDx Mm -hmm. Talks is you said you had a flame. They attempted to extinguish that flame. Um, How did you persevere personally?
3: I personally persevered because I I looked at what I I always felt like I had something to contribute to the world Uh, and once I found what that thing was, that's what made me unstoppable. And it's it, it's it's a it's a thing that I don't really need the external. I, I've found a way to have it on the inside. So when I'm looking to do something, I know that that's what's supposed to happen. It's really just like this assurance that I was created to do this. My path couldn't have been any other way, and that's what keeps me going. It, it pulled me out, and having that thought process. Um, and that energy, I personally feel that it connects me to opportunities exactly that way. Like it, it is I like Deepak Chopra t- says it like it's, he calls it effortless ease. I feel like all of the things that have come to me are, are really organic. People would say, how did you get that? How did you do that? How did that person connect with you? I mean, even with clients or, or business or, um, you know, some of the contracts that I have, even with the spas. like, how did you get that? And these are places that I can't go in and fill out an application to work at. So I think having that idea that this is what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm more in tune with the opportunity when it shows up. Uh, and, and I rarely say no, like I, I figure it out. I'm like, I get an opportunity. Most people would say, oh, wait, I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have this. I'm just incredibly resourceful. And I know that if it came my way, it's something that I have to be able to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, your story alone is extremely inspirational. Um, Thank you. We're starting to run out of time, unfortunately, but uh, I always love to ask this. Uh, where would you like to see yourself, Prison Break Coach, and uh, Pamper, Perfect, Pamper Perfect Mobile Spa in like the next 10 years?
3: Oh, next 10 years. You guys got to see me on a main, big big main stage somewhere. You know, I do a lot of speaking opportunities, um, but I think I've always envisioned so much larger and and on a grander scale just to have that that impact so in in 10 years I wanted a household name like you know you'll you'll hear prison break coach and you'll you'll know who I am just I I believe that that's where where I was created to go
1: well I mean in my house prison break coach is definitely a household (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I mean, on that note, I can't thank you enough, Allison. Um, thank you. I I really thank
2: you so much, Allison. Yeah, thank uh, you. I
1: really appreciate it. Love love the conversation. anytime. Yeah, I would love to have you back anytime too, for sure. Uh, and I'm sure there's going to be so much more to talk about in the future as well. Um, yes. Once again, our guest today, Allison Garrett. Websites prisonbreakcoach.com. The other website is pamperedperfectmobilespa.com. Check those both out and. Don't forget the Prison Break group experience coming up next month. Look into that, go to the website, contact Allison, also on social media. And on that note, remember to tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time on StartupRadioNetwork.com. And until then, we'll see you. Peace. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.